Welcome. It's good to be here. My first question for you is, would you like some sweet cow ice cream? Uh, I'm okay. You know what I'm going to do is I actually want hot tea. I've had two days. I've, had, I've either got a cold or something. So I'm going to match your golden throat ice uh, with my own, like, I got all this stuff in a diminishing throat, so. I'm sorry. Yeah, well, Derry would probably take me the other direction. That's true. I won't sit too closely to you then. You're fine. <laughs> Uh, give me context on the podcast really quick. Yeah. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Park Church Podcast. I'm your host, James Lapine, and as you know, this year we're taking time to talk with church planners and overseas ministers and local nonprofits, folks with whom we partner financially. Um, and so uh, I think I teased this last month, but uh, we have with us today Brian Gray, who is the COO and the director of the 5280 Fellowship at the Denver Institute for Faith and Work. He's here in the office with me. This is becoming a trend, our third in a row of, of somebody here in the office and not over Skype. So we're sitting awkwardly close to, to one another. And, Very awkwardly. Uh, <laughs> yes, here he is. And uh, he's got his tea and I've got my water. And uh, I'm excited to chat with him about the good work that they're doing um, in the city. Uh, as always, if you enjoy the show, take a minute to um, subscribe in iTunes. And while you're there, if you could rate and review it, that will just help other people find the show. So if you're enjoying it and want other people to listen to it, that's a great way to help out. Um, as always, as well, any resources that we mention on this show, anything that we think would be helpful for you, if you have interest in that, go to parkchurchdenver.org slash park-podcast, and you'll see Brian's beautiful face there. You can click on his face and uh, go into the show notes to find those links uh, to get the resources that we talked about. So uh, nothing further from me. Now we'll hop into the interview with Brian. Hey, Brian. Welcome to my office. Good to be here. <laughs> it's good to be with you in this office. Yes. And internet. It's kind of hot. We have to turn off the AC when uh, when we're recording. And so it's about right. It's going to get a little hot, but uh, it'll be great. Hopefully that's a metaphor for conversation. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> there you go. You've kind of spent your whole morning over here at Park now, haven't I've, you? I've uh, had a meeting with Neil and uh, yeah. worked upstairs and said hi to all the staff. So just... I'm a wannabe Park uh, member. Yes. Apparently. Well, we're very glad to have you. I... Uh, I remember being introduced to uh, the Denver Institute for Faith and Work several years ago, and then I think my first interaction with you was maybe a couple months ago when you spoke at the Made to Flourish mm -hmm. event at, mm -hmm. at uh, Union Station. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm a little bit more familiar with you now than sure. I was, but I'm sure there are plenty of folks listening who, who don't know you or your story, so if you yeah. could give us an overview of your life so far, how you ended up at DIFW. Yeah, you bet. Great, yeah. I was a, when I was younger, uh, I was generally interested in many, many, many things. That's the curse of being a generalist. And yeah. so I wanted to be everything from a vet to a doctor to a physical therapist. And I eventually got my master's in exercise physiology hmm. and I was doing heart research, which was really fun. I mean, I was kind of a geek. We were in the uh, human performance lab, which is right next door to where Lance Armstrong We'd do all of his performance testing in Austin on the bike. Okay. Yeah, he'd run all these tests, and we'd say, he's not even human. <laughs> and as it turns out, he's, he's not even human. Uh, and while I was, you know, at that point, I, while I loved what I was doing, I had always been really actively involved in my local church, serving in ministry as a volunteer, uh, whether it be junior high group or the high school group. And at that point, finishing grad school, I was discipling uh, a number of, of college students okay. there at UT. From yeah. Austin? Uh, from the San Francisco Bay Area originally. Oh, okay. 
transplant out to Austin for grad school and living. And okay. I've been here the rest of my life. And you have cowboy boots on, so Austin. Well, yeah, that's a combination of a little bit of Austin okay. and a little bit of Denver. I can just kind of get away with yeah, it. Yeah, totally, and, totally. Uh, yeah, it's, it's my one I really want to... Um, kick the garbage out of my to-do list for a day. I wore the boots just to remind myself who's in charge of the to-do list. How was that? Bay Area to Austin had to be a pretty big transition. Bay Area to Austin um, was a move of a type, yeah. I, okay. But Austin was just a, for people who are familiar with it, it's just a fun town, yeah. a big cultural hub. Yeah. Uh, I mostly went for the grad school education, but just fell in love with Austin in particular, maybe more so than Texas in general, but mm-hmm. I just loved my time in Austin. Okay, so great. So yeah. you're a grad student there, discipline? Yeah, grad student, and the, the, I had an interesting transition, which is, uh, comes from some messed up theology, but it's a really important part of my story. Okay. Uh, and that is that when I was at my church, it was like uh, maybe a lot of other well-intended churches, we took the idea of the ministry of the local church and evangelism and discipleship really seriously. Mm-hmm. But we had an underdeveloped, category for what it meant to support the work of people who weren't in full-time occupational Christian work mm. or being overseas missionaries. So uh, theologically, we, you know, we'd say, we call this dualism. We've got two categories. There's a secular and a sacred. And while no one ever spoke that way explicitly, it was underneath the surface, just kind of driving things. So the way this worked for me is that nobody helped me to see or had a vision with me or, or maybe led me or discipled me into having a vision for my work in heart research, which at the time was uh, helping black and Latino populations receive enhanced cardiovascular medical care. Mm-hmm. So our research was going to channel into the way hospitals treated uh, black and Latino populations perhaps differently than uh, Anglo populations, huh. which was pre- the predominant population that uh, all NIH research had been done on at this time. So nobody looked at that and said, wow, uh, what you're doing is an aspect of social justice. What you're doing really squares with God's vision for human flourishing. Mm. What you're doing is an aspect of public service. What you're doing is an, is an outworking of potentially calling. Mm. But when I would disciple college guys or uh, lead Bible studies or lead short-term mission trips, or if I preached on Sunday, uh, metaphorically speaking, people clapped. Yeah, They said, wow, this is your, you seem wired this way. Mm. You should consider being a pastor. Um, but I did, <laughs> yeah. I was a pastor for 13 years. So I made okay. this gigantic left-hand turn in my career. Um, when was this? When this you is, the turn? This is 99. Okay. Yeah. So grad school and then just one year of career work after that was 96 through 98. And then a, a year working after that. And so then I spent a couple of years starting off interning and then on staff at this church and mm. college group in Austin. And are, are your friends and family like, what in the world are you doing? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. They all thought it was very much uh, against the grain. Okay. If for no other reason, we didn't have any people who had, had worked in occupational ministry in my family on either side. Uh, so that's a new category. Mm. Um, and then the other thing is I, I just spent time and investment of money and resources into graduate school and I had aptitudes there. It right. wasn't like, well, I bonked out and I wasn't good. I, would, uh, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I enjoyed it with, with parts of me. Sure. And then there's these other parts that really came alive relationally, um, in terms of my imagination, mm. theological expression mm. in, in pastoral ministry sure. at the time. And so the, 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 yeah, the transition was really interesting. Yeah. Uh, in fact, my folks at one point cautioned me strongly against it. And then three, four years later, in what was a really, uh, kind of welcome and healing conversation apologized. Mm. And they said, we just didn't have a vision to see some of the way you were, my words, the way you were wired and put together. And in fact, the way God might've been drawing into that. But it's interesting, messed up theology. Yeah. 
is what led me into a 13 year pastoral ministry career. Right. So God's using broken things, yeah. you know, like a, like this dualistic framework. So mm. today, a lot of my work that drew me to Denver Institute was, uh, after being a pastor, I was a seminary faculty at Denver seminary for five years and all in the latter part of my the last few years of pastoral ministry and my time in the seminary, I was trying to, to think in terms of how do we equip pastors and people to not think of their cell, their lives in these bifurcated ways, mm. that there's a sacred category and certain things belong over there. Right. My spiritual life, quote unquote, mm-hmm. or my quiet time mm. or any kind of practices that we've defined, right, would fit over here. And then there's my secular life, which is what I do with my job all the time or yep. anything else. And so that's a starting point. Um, for a divided life and a divided heart. Mm. Uh, and so I, that piece became really important to me. So that this is a natural outworking for me in moving from a board of advisors mm. at Denver Institute onto staff about um, three years ago now. Okay. Yeah. So, so you're going into, you, you said an internship out of uh, the grad. You, yeah. You worked for a year, then an internship at a church? Yeah. Basically what I, it was, a, it was either the most brilliant or the most horrible salary negotiation in the history of the University of Texas. I told them that I would work 39 and a half hours a week <laughs> okay. so that I wasn't full time yeah. and they didn't have to pay me medical benefits uh-huh. if I could have total autonomy by the human performance lab scheduling Okay. so that I could go do a 25 hour a week unpaid internship at the church. Oh, wow. So I came to staff meetings. Yeah. I uh, was there on Tuesday nights, which is a, a leadership community and could help run. Mm-hmm. So so that way I could basically move some things around the schedule of discipling college kids. Got it. And did that. So I might take, turn, shut the lab down for two hours on a Thursday afternoon mm-hmm. and meet with two of my leaders on a one-on-one. Okay. So, so you're working a lot. Um, yeah, that's it. That is a deep aspect of my brokenness in the past. <laughs> okay. I, I would call myself a recovering workaholic. Okay. And so if our alcoholic sisters and brothers, if we can learn anything from them, yeah. you know, I'm, you're an alcoholic for life, even if you're sober. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, that's a demon I've battled a lot, actually. Mm-hmm. It's just uh, knowing limits uh, to work where I'm passionate and where I have care. Yeah. Um, setting boundaries when, when people are involved, particularly. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, 65, 70 weeks was a norm there for a few oh, years. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And then you... Eventually they go, we want to bring you on. Were you doing seminary or? It was just, it was just all pre-seminary. Okay. Yeah. So it was actually just after the first year of the internship towards the end, they asked me to come on staff. And so I did that for another uh, two years okay. on full-time staff. There. Okay. Uh, we had, it, for those who've never been to Texas, the phrase, everything's bigger in Texas. Yeah. At least was true in terms of collegiate ministry. So we had, <laughs> you know, by the time I left, we had 750 kids in a college group. Oh my gosh. So there was a, uh, a college pastor ahead of men's discipleship and mission, women's discipleship and mission. And I was, so I was based, and so I worked underneath the college fashion. We had an admin assistant. So we had a, like a little mini staff for mm-hmm. our college group. Mm-hmm. So I'd done that for two years and really enjoyed it mm-hmm. I, I, quite a bit enough so that I felt like, um, seminary was appropriate next step of training. Mm-hmm. And once I swallowed the pill, which was really prideful of one more round of grad school yeah. and our people, you know, people are going to think I'm a nut. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I came to Denver seminary. So that, that landed me. I've been here since 2001. Got it. So that was the move out here. That was the move. The move okay. was for seminary. Uh, yeah, the move was for seminary and snowboarding. It was actually the it was the combination of both. Why would I go to seminary in a place that's flat when I could go to seminary in a place that had these hills? Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's great. So when you got married at some point during this, uh, I was married. Yeah. So my wife and I've been married. This is our fifteenth year. Okay. So um, we got married. It was actually soon after seminary. I met her when we were in school. Okay. Uh, she got her counseling degree at Denver cool. Seminary. Cool. And. In the last year she was there, I met her and I asked about her and she was engaged. Whoa. So I just walked away and I said, ah, 
too bad. Yeah. Uh, she didn't have a ring, so this is really, you know, decent question. And yeah. It was about two years later we saw each other at a party, and she still didn't have a ring. So at that point, that that feels reasonably like game on. Right. So yeah, she and I met, uh, dated, embarrassingly short amount of time. We're engaged a pretty short amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. Like how short? Well, we were. Uh, I wanted to get. Uh, I wanted to marry her before I asked her out. Yeah, which is just a horrible thing. If anyone, else, <laughs> if anyone ever told me they were going to do that, I was like, you are, you're either high or you're stupid or you're uh, a lot of things. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we, we married, we uh, dated for five and a half months. Okay. And we were engaged for five months. That's great. Yeah. Piece of cake. Under a year. We were a little older. Like yeah. I was, you know, I was almost 32 okay. at that point, a little older, very normal today. But 15 years ago, that was just, you know, a little older for me. Sure. I, I knew I was out of my league. I knew who I was looking for and it was her. So yeah, you were ready to go. So I did something yeah. about it. Yeah. There you go. That's great. Yeah. Um, you talked about how bad theology got you into ministry. Mm-hmm. At what point while doing ministry, did you feel, did, did that bad theology start to shift for you? And also, yeah, here's just a question. Like, cause I think this is, this is common in Christian circles Big time. where ministry is held up as like the real work. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So, what are we telling the people who are doing different jobs to support the real, the quote unquote real work yeah, that we're sure. doing? You know, like I feel like a sharp guy like you and I'm not trying to uh, belittle you or something, mm-hmm. but that's such like a logical outflow. You know? yeah, absolutely. So like, when did that shift for you? I think, well, just think about how many things that we do in Christianity are really well intended yeah. and sound very pious or sound uh, very right hearted, mm. but could be just some deviations, uh, off of the heart of Christ. So uh, real tangible examples is just, if you've ever think about accountability relationships, which can really, they, they they're right hearted accountability, um, iron sharpens iron. This is a biblical value in relationship, Sure, but you've probably seen or been a part of accountability that really just feels like extending shame narratives mm. that we already have as a mm. part of an internal narrative, a critique narrative. And so People are going to shift. So here's, here's this thing. That's a good thing. Yeah. Right. That, that is just slightly off. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so I think that's really what was going on there. There was for me and for many that I see in the church, there's a, there's a really, um, a right hearted value on evangelism, mm. discipleship, mm. uh, the value of the local church. Yeah. Um, and so what we do is we make a strong connection between those expressions and their occupational outworkings, mm-hmm. which is pastor or missionary. And then it's easy for people to, if they're maybe if they're not led otherwise, or if they don't have an imagine other imagination otherwise to then understand their participation in evangelism or mission or the life of the local church to be, well, I make money and I write the check to support the real action. Okay. Uh, or yeah, there, well, there's people who are goers and there's people who are senders and I'm just a sender. A sender. So all of this language is, yeah. a, is at one level, I think well-intended, but it acts, it ends up uh, one insulating mm. uh, everybody from what pastors are intended to do, which is to equip the saints for works of service, mm. right? Yeah. To equip the saints for works of dikaiosune, ministry service, mm-hmm. right? Which is um, not exclusively and even primarily inside the walls of the church. Mm. So when we take on those mentalities, I think... Um, for me, I was just as complicit as anyone else. Hmm. I think there's just a small missing piece of theology, which is a whole life spirituality, such that there isn't a, a, a divide between secular and sacred and what we do. Hmm. 
I think the teaching of Jesus, or particularly even as he spoke with the activity of the Pharisees with the, the divide, uh, was internal to them. So it, it's more secularly and sacredly hmm. that we might do something that in and of itself isn't secular or sacred. Sure. We have to draw some obvious lines. Right? Yeah. So there's no, there's no redeeming of the prostitution industry. There's no redeeming of anything in human trafficking, right? Mm. There's no redeeming in the Oakland Raiders. Like the, there's certain things, <laughs> right? so there's certain things that we can't say, oh, but if we just do this sacredly, but yes. in all things that are not overtly sin or dishonoring to God, I think that they can be done with a spirit of submission unto Christ. Yeah. Uh, loving God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving neighbors ourselves as primary motivations. And that makes them sacredly done activities, mm. right? So this is just deep reformational thought. This mm. was the correction of the reformation. So I, I think part of it is until you see it and you feel it, you realize, oh, yeah, I haven't been doing that. Mm. And I've comfortably insulated myself on the sideline on this one. So when did you start to see and feel it? You didn't answer the question. Surprisingly late. Yeah? I started, it was actually uh, starting to learn about and think about a theology of work. Okay. Uh, when I was in pastoral ministry, here was the catalyst. I was uh, on staff at a couple churches, and one of them uh, was, I was a community pastor, so I'm thinking about small groups, spiritual formation, discipleship. And it dawned on me at one point, which means I'm sure I heard it from some brilliant speaker and I've then co-opted it as my own brilliant <laughs> reflection. It dawned on me that the predominant amount of time in which people are spending their life, just quantitatively, we're either uh, at our workplace, mm -hmm. if we're working full-time, yeah. uh, or, and, and let's define work more broadly so that it's not just work for pay, mm -hmm. but it includes uh, all the work that I'm doing to maintain my household. It includes the work of my parenting, right? So it's, it's the work, uh, uh, Dorothy Sayers would say, it's the creative expression of our energies in service of others. Mm. Okay, it's a broad category of work. So we don't overlink it to paycheck. Yeah. It's not just W-2. Yeah. So that's one big bucket. And the other big bucket of our conscious hours is... Um, if you will, kind of our, our community, the, the, the old biblical term would be our household mm. as it's translated. So that could include, in my case, my wife and children, but it would also include if I wasn't married, my, uh, my most immediate community, my neighbors, the people with whom I do life. Mm -hmm. So if you think about kind of our, our household or community and uh, our work, you've got, I don't know, 80, 85% of your non-sleeping hours of your life. Right. If I'm going to take as a pastor and as a church, if we're going to take discipleship seriously, we have to take those two contexts incredibly seriously because of the place in which worship and formation and mission happen. Yep. Right. Yep. So it's, it's almost a quantitative argument. Mm. When that dawned on me one day, I thought I got to start learning about uh, what the scriptures say about work, why it's important. And that really led me to this realization of this, but a big pillar I'd say in a, in a healthy biblical theology of work mm. is this idea of dualism that this, yeah. um, contending against that idea of a divided life. Yeah, absolutely. That was, to be honest, that was really healing. That started mending back together my story mm. and allowed me to, to have compassion on the younger man who was really well-intended but might have missed in this one place. And mm. so today I think uh, I think I would have uh, really enjoyed and been a fast, fantastic cardiovascular researcher Yeah, um, who did that in a way that loved God and loved neighbors and did that as an expression of God's calling. Mm-hmm. And I could have also done that as a pastor and I could have also done that as a seminary prof yeah. or as the COO of a nonprofit or when I coach fourth and fifth grade girls volleyball for right. my daughter, which I do. The what is neither secular nor sacred, but how I go about doing it is really animated by God's spirit right? and sacredly done. Yeah. So, so when you have that realization, you're on staff at a church. Then what? Does it become a problem? Do you well, start talking about it? I mean, yeah, it's, it becomes a problem because I'm not. 
I feel like I, at one level, had stumbled my way into something that felt important, but I didn't know if it was important or not yet. So we had, at my church, we had a, a mentor of mine come in and just uh, a couple times preach and teach on a theology of work. Cool. Just to break in and get this idea into the uh, the imagination and the consciousness of people and how they understood spirituality. So it started there. Uh, and I just found, I started just probably personally rather than programmatically taking on pastoral practices that were different. So when I would meet with people, uh, you know, I, I don't think I had the habit of meeting with people and say, tell me about your spiritual life, right? If we take this phrase spiritual life and we put it in quotes, mm-hmm. a lot of people use it, the right. phrase, and a lot of people probably know what they mean by that phrase, mm-hmm. but no one's ever just explicitly spelling that. What do we mean? Mm-hmm. Do we mean that this morning I woke up, I sat in the green chair right by the window. I had a cup of coffee. I uh, engaged a, a couple of a, a time of prayer through several prayer practices. I did. I spend time in the scriptures. I, I read my book yeah. as Christian author. And that is my spiritual life. Oftentimes we have an unassumed definition of this. Mm-hmm. So I think I would probably talk to people about their lives. And it felt like the thing that was uh, pastorally, what they were wanting to talk to me about was oftentimes some struggles and what they would assume to be their spiritual life. So I just started weaving into those dialogues. Uh, tell me about your work. Yeah. Tell me about why you do what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me about how those are opportunities to not uh, to serve God. What are the what are the types of uh, formation experiences that you're doing? So when somebody would say, "I feel really stressed at work," mm-hmm. instead of just let's come up with stress management techniques and here's breathing and here's all the other things, um, starting to ask maybe deeper questions about what God's spirit was and how He might be wanting to meet them. Mm-hmm in that place and have that be a place of their formation and how that could be crucible in a really unpleasant, but helpful way towards their, their transformation into Christ likeness. So I think those started dawning on me personally and fell into pastoral conversation, but never moved to the level of a programmatic level of the church. Okay. uh, When I made my transition to the seminary to be be on faculty there. Got it. So you went from being a pastor to being a prof. Yeah, I was there. Yeah. I was there at Denver seminary for, uh, four and a half years and just led a a program in basically spiritual formation and professional development of students. That's mentored. So it's a mentored approach to this for all of our students. Got it. So, so your interest in this subject grew and there was this opportunity at Denver seminary to Mm -hmm. explore it more. Yeah. I I think, uh, the, the role of the seminary was a really good fit. It was working with a mentor of mine, Mm -hmm. uh, who I, I really enjoyed. Uh, I had been at the church where I was on staff for six years and in some ways wondered if I I have any, I have an annual ritual actually, uh, of just asking God annually, uh, it, the next year ahead, um, are you continuing to call me to this place? Yeah. Which I always assume the default is a yes, mm-hmm. but I, I want to not ask. And then I don't want to spend the entire year frittering away if any what-if questions come up. Yeah. So in my last year on staff at this church, I realized the first five years that was an easy question. But in that fifth year, I said, no, I think I do. And this next year is going to be interesting. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the only impression I had. Yeah. And I think towards the end of my time, I began to sense that perhaps my um, the contribution that I could make uh, to that church was maybe not what it was earlier. Mm-hmm. And... It, I could have stayed there and I saw friends, two of my close friends are on staff of that church mm-hmm. to this day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love it. I go back and preach and teach there and I have, I have friends that are in the community. But the opportunity at the seminary really was an outworking of this, let's just say this healed theology. Yeah. Which God doesn't just call you to a what or a where. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think he, I think calling biblically is predominantly answering questions of who am I supposed to be and mm-hmm. become? Uh, why do I do what I do? How do I do what I do? 
And if we sit with the who and the why and the how questions as we understand calling, they can really can work themselves out in a lot of different what's and a lot of different where's. Totally. And I think that's incredibly freeing. And so for me, realizing, yeah, I could probably live out the who, how, and why that God has been deepening me in, in this role at the seminary. Mm-hmm. Figuring out identity and purpose mm-hmm. is more important than figuring out exactly what you're going to do. I think so. Abs- that, I yeah. think absolutely. Because people struggle with this all the time, Come, right? Young, predominantly, a uh, big question in the young adult population, right? What am I supposed to do? Yeah, what am right. I supposed to do? Yeah. There's a, I think, sitting underneath a lot of the questions we ask is maybe another kind of piece of theology that sometimes goes underexplored, which is what's the nature of God's will? Mm. Is the nature of God's will that it is a needle in a haystack and that the, the earnest follower of Christ finds it right. or has to be listening or just waits around or it's just discovery and everything else is um, mm. maybe subpar or is outside of the ideal of God's will until we find that one needle. Mm. And I, I think that that can be predominant in a lot of places. And mm. so we're supposed to listen and God will tell us what to do. And for some Christians, and this is a really blessed experience, he does that. Yeah. Uh, and that's not normative yeah. for all Christians. That's not normative throughout all of history. And it's uh, actually the, the minority story biblically. Right. So the majority understanding, I think that the majority of the accounts of scripture might point us towards a theology of God's will, which is, again, kind of, it's broader and it's oriented around who we are becoming, mm-hmm. how we are to live, why we are to live. Mm. And as a subset of that, who I am becoming, how I am to live, why I am to live. Mm-hmm. And then down the road from that, the what's and the where's kind of either can work themselves out mm. uh, or perhaps aren't le- as important. Or if God has a really specific what and a where, he can tell us. And we've got biblical evidence that he's been pretty, he has a flair for the dramatic in the past, <laughs> right? We have talking donkeys and we have pillars of fire and yeah. we have, you know, wet animal skins versus dry ground. So, even the most dense can be communicated to mm-hmm. by the living God. Mm-hmm. So he's going to work. I think he's going to work these things out. Yeah. So I think that that for many people can be a very freeing theology. And the nice thing about it is it's not junk theology. I think it's actually a biblical theology where maybe we deviated a little in some really well-intended, particularly evangelical subculture mm-hmm. versions of the nature of God's will. Totally. Because so. the ditches there are, Paralysis. Yep. Right. One, there's one side, and yeah. the, and then the other ditch is I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. Yeah. Right. And and I think sometimes people will be on the I just want to do what I want to do, and they will swing to the paralysis, and they will lose because because I want to do what I want to do. There's there's something good there. Mm-hmm. Like you should be asking yourself, what do I want to do? Desire. Right. Is important. It's super important, and we think we have to stuff that down if mm-hmm. we've overemphasized it. Sure. Stuff it down. Don't think about it. Just what does God want me to do? Mm-hmm. And I think God wants to know what we want to do, right? Yeah. Um, and so walking walking that middle road is hard, but I think it's the best way to do it. Yeah, I think that's right. The other the the other version that I've seen yeah. from some folks is is a need to to baptize mm. what they want to do. Mm. Uh, what do you mean? Spiritualize it. Okay. Uh, really connect it to God's will. Okay. When perhaps it's his will and perhaps it's not, but you don't have to baptize it. Okay, classic example. I'll go out of the city. I was uh, asked to come in and do a young adult kind of career age retreat at a church in Hollywood. A famous historical church. So I go up through the retreat and it's, this is 15 years ago. Yeah. You know, the pastor tells me, hey, there's 250 people that'll be up at our retreat, young adults in this church. And he said probably about 80% of them are in the industry. The industry, capital I. Yeah, so, yeah. 
guy from Colorado says, what's the industry, capital I? Uh, and it's basically anything in Hollywood. So this would be either acting, attempting to act, uh, anything that's involved with screenwriting, production, right? Maybe they're in yeah. lighting, special effects, et cetera. Oh, so they're right. in the industry. Yeah. Right. And he told me that because the the retreat thing that we were, that he asked me to preach on was, um, what's God's will for my life? Oh, and wow. so what we did is, uh, talk number one on Saturday is, uh, love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Talk number two is love your neighbors yourself. And the Sunday morning talk was God doesn't care if you're in the industry. <laughs> and, um, he said like, I, I need an outside prophet to say that, yeah. right? If yeah. you will, prophet. But uh, yeah, the, the nature of it was I, I had I had a few people, and we were just simply walking through kind of what's a what's a that Sunday morning. It's a catchy title for what's a, a biblical theology of God's will. True. And for so many people, they walked up and felt like, well, this is this gives me a ton of freedom. I said, like, yeah, yeah, you can keep trying out and auditioning, but if it's God's will that you're an actor. And you're really just waiting table at Chili's mm -hmm. and you don't have your SAG card because you haven't hit twice yet mm -hmm. on, on these auditions, then are you in sin? Are you, if it is God's will and you're not doing it, what's happening there? Are you, uh, is there something that we have to ask these really hard exploration questions that come with needle in a haystack theology mm -hmm. versus I think it's okay if you want to try out and be an actor and if you can handle the lifestyle that comes with it mm -hmm. and if this isn't something that God has explicitly said not to and if you're checking your heart in terms of pride, vanity, uh, the need for attention seeking and spotlight and all the, the perhaps the trappings that might interiorly motivate a person. To go into the industry. To or, go into that industry. Or into uh, church world. Or into any of our <laughs> Right. right? Yeah. So if you're checking your motivations on right. the how and why behind that, right. I think there can be great freedom yeah. behind, yeah, be yeah. in the industry. Totally. God's okay with yeah. that. Right. And if he's not, he'll tell you. But the idea of baptizing is so many people, God told me to be an actor. Mm. How did he tell you? And they tell me a story about how they really enjoyed this community performance play mm -hmm. and they were, it felt like they, they were baptizing or wanting to put spiritual language onto what they really wanted to do so they could legitimize it. Yeah. Christianly legitimize it. Yeah. And it doesn't need to be Christianly legitimized. Yep. The arts are legitimate full stop. Right. They're a part of God's created world. They're not explicitly sinful. Mm -hmm. They're not secular. Yeah. Full stop. Yeah. You don't need to Christian legitimize them. Right. God has already made them so. Right. And you don't How and why you do that? Yep, yeah, right. Is the issue? I'm only doing Christian movies, right? Right. I'm all, you know, it's well, it's kind of Christian music. It's yeah, got it's, some Christian undertones. Yeah, for sure. yeah, right, right. We feel this need to legitimize it, right? Yeah, yeah. To let people know it's not the scary thing that they wonder that it might be. You know? Yeah. Um, okay, let's let's. We haven't even talked about DIFW really yet. So so you. Well, we have. Well, we have. All yes, of this is yes. the hope and the mission and the heartbeat totally. of Denver Institute for Faith. Yes. You're, you're done seven, four and a half years. Mm -hmm. And, and then are you, a, no, you're on the board. Yeah, I was, I was always uh, on staff and then faculty at Denver seminary, but I was on the board of this little startup right. five years ago called Denver Institute for Faith and Work. It's been five years. Wow. Yeah, it's been, it's been five years. Uh, it cool. started with, a, uh, uh, this is Jeff Hanen is yeah. the CEO and the founder. So it started just with a vision, came out of a little theology of reading group. A bunch mm. of us were getting together and Jeff said, uh, hey, I'm thinking about this idea. I want to write a grant and see if some people would sponsor an event or two. Maybe it turns into something like an organization. It did. <laughs> uh, and so most people knew us in our early years through our public events. Mm. Um, today, so the, the purpose of Denver Institute is to form women and men to serve God, neighbor, and society through their work. Mm. The way that we express that self, where most people know us, is through our public events, probably 10 to 12 per year. 
They are uh, various events that are on specific industries. We just had one over the summer connected to the outdoor retailers mm. show that was in town where okay. we explored God and the Great Outdoors. We'll have another one coming up in September uh, on artificial intelligence. Mm. How can we think about that Christianly in terms of how it impacts our work? Who's speaking at that? Uh, we've got a panel of a few different oh, okay. speakers. Okay. Yeah, and so it's going to be uh, – we, we've got a few uh, – the folks are all local on this one, actually. Oh, cool. So um, some folks that are uh, – we have a doctor who's working with a technology to uh, use artificial intelligence to create um, note-taking processes right in the middle of an appointment with a doctor. So then the, the one thing that all doctors hate is transcription, notes. Yeah. yeah. So it's literally a way to machine learn the notes that need to be put together. Wow. There's somebody else who's working, uh, a gal who's working at National Jewish, who's uh, using machine learning to better and earlier identify and detect um, cancer cells or abnormalities in lung tissue beyond the human eye detection, right? So, we, so there's people who are using artificial intelligence for the common wow. good. Wow. Uh, but then there's also some things we need to be careful about, mm -hmm. right? You know, mm -hmm. Tower of Babel was a thing, yeah. and Tower of Babel is a thing in yeah. new expressions. And so we're just going to try to explore how can we think Christianly about AI. So I'll be doing just a, a brief theological introduction for that, and then we'll turn it over to the experts who are uh, practitioners who are in various industries using AI. Were you at the Q conference a couple years ago? The one in Denver? Yeah. Yeah, I was. Did you hear Kevin Kelly from Wired? Look, Kevin <laughs> Kelly is a mind bender. Yeah. Yeah. He was, I was at the original Q conference, which was in Atlanta years okay. ago. Okay. Uh, so I went out for that and Kevin Kelly was also speaking there. So he's spoken, I think twice and I've seen him twice at Q. Yeah. He calls himself a futurist yeah. and he is a thoughtful Christian, yeah. though as the editor of Wired magazine, he doesn't operate explicitly out of that role. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But he asked really question, good questions. Our staff. Uh, recently, one of our guiding principles, we have five guiding principles. One of them is that we want to think theologically. So we want that to be the character of our events and the character of our staff. And so we give a staff meeting every month to, the, to one of our guiding principles. So for the theme of thinking theologically, we all wanted to just explore and dialogue together uh, a set of theological lenses on AI mm. before two months later we went and put this event on. Yeah. So we actually listened to a video, a TED talk that, that um, Kevin Kelly did mm -hmm. where he just explored what the next frontier in AI could be with regard to work. It was really thoughtful, easy to find on TED talk and uh, definitely worth a listen to. He, we'll link to it on the show notes. Yeah. He thinks it's like a third, if you will, there was a, there was a, an agricultural revolution and an industrial revolution. Yeah. And this would be a next industrial revolution, yeah. if you will. Yeah. It's yeah, it's really thoughtful. It's, it, though he is a Christian, he doesn't speak in that, from a Christian framework on that at his TED Talk, but yeah, he's really great. So that's September is the AI discussion. Uh, if I'm right? staring at a calendar, I'll tell you. It is going to be September. It's on our website yeah. uh, at denverinstitute.org slash events uh, on our events page. Um, but I believe it is September the 20th, which is a Thursday. Let's see if you're right. Nailed it. There we go. September 20th. Okay. And where are y'all doing that? Uh, that, that event is going to be at, uh, Summit Church. Okay. Yeah. Okay. In Rhino. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Okay. okay. So you do these events 10 to 12 a year? Yeah, we do. So, so from any events like that, uh, up to larger events, we've got a women in vocation event, which will be okay. happening in mid October. And then we'll have in uh, November 13th, we're going to have a, uh, a larger pastor event. So we have four, what we call core events. They're around business for the common good. One that's a general, uh, general introduction to calling or vocation for people really broadly. One on women and vocation, which is oriented towards uh, resourcing professional women in their work in the world. And then the fourth is around uh, pastoral formation for the interior life of the pastor, the professional development of the pastor, and the public-facing nature of their churches or organizations. Cool. 
So those four quarterly events are interspersed with smaller events like this AI event, like outdoor retailers. That's how most people know Denver Institute as the front door. Um, a next level of engagement is, is people are, are participate in some, uh, we, we loosely organize what we call vocational communities. There's a couple now. Uh, one of them is like a, an entrepreneur's group where uh, once a quarter they gather, probably 40 to 50 entrepreneurs gather and they just uh, have a subject for dialogue around how theology applies to entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. There's uh, smaller uh, volunteer-led small groups that connect out of that. So our vocational communities are kind of a, a, a middle level of how people interact with us. We're developing out continued online resources, so past events that we can turn into um, either individual or group-based uh, dialogue and, and uh, kind of discussion starters. Mm -hmm. um, and so we call that scatter.org. Mm -hmm. And so that'll uh, we have a relaunch of scatter that's coming up this fall. Cool. And then the most probably the most intense. Uh, time commitment and then uh, investment by people is what we call our 5280 Fellowship. And Park Church, for two years now, has hosted a cohort. Uh, 5280 Fellowship is a nine-month spiritual formation and leadership, or I'm sorry, professional development program for full-time working professionals, Christian professionals. So we talk about issues of work, calling, cultural engagement, uh, and we do that through small group-based reading and learning together. Uh, we do some formal teaching times. Uh, where a lot of the, the things I was riffing on on dualism and calling earlier are kind of bedrock teaching concepts that we'll walk through. Mm -hmm. We do show and tell style learning. So we'll go get together with Carla Nugent down at Wayfield Electric and we'll uh, take a small group of fellows for 90 minutes. Say, tell us about the program by which you got underemployable people. Let's say they had a, a minor felony in the past for drug possession. By today's laws, it wouldn't even be illegal, but you know, past felony underemployable folks into a journeyman electrician's program that at the end of four years, they've got a goal that they could potentially buy a home. They can't get a job without checking a box. Mm -hmm. And at the end of this time, they buy a home. So wow. Carla has brought this into this uh, business. And so we'll take our fellows to come and just learn from her. How has her faith informed that? How has she practiced it? So this is a, the type of a, a, an experiential learning mm -hmm. that's in the fellows. And we have a number of just self-directed elements that are a part of it. Uh, monthly engagement of a spiritual discipline. We do a lot of uh, personal reflection uh, and some activities around professional development that, that are all of our fellows turn into a uh, personal formation plan, identifying okay. an area of personal brokenness and, and naming some practices to help attend to that. Hmm. And then a, what we call professional project, where somebody would name an area of brokenness in their job or their business group or their company or perhaps their industry, maybe a little wider out if you think concentric circles, maybe they see something in their city hmm. Uh, or culture, and they say that's something that in three and a half months, my theology and my uh, what we say our, our vocational stewardship mm. would allow me to do something about. So we ask them to create a really simple plan that would name an area of brokenness and address it, mm. and that's just fun. Our fellows yeah. come up with some creative stuff. Okay? Yeah, yeah. I love so that's that. a fifty-two-eighty fellowship in a nutshell. Okay, great. So, so we've been working with Denver Institute for Faith and Work for a couple of years now. Mm -hmm. um, Maybe just folks aren't familiar with what our partnership entails totally. Yeah. So could you give them a, a look into that? Yeah. So at, uh, for us, we consider partnership with local churches to be uh, ideological. How can we take and support the life of what's happening in the local church? And, uh, and then also some churches uh, support us financially as a nonprofit on a monthly yeah. basis. Park is one of them. Yeah. A, a, a metaphor that I think is helpful on this is uh, not every church in this city or most churches in most cities should ever have a faith and work ministry. Hmm. So unless you're a mega church and you're just resources galore and you've got the, the, the size and the scope of budget and personnel and staff to drive something, this, let's just say 
um, specific in discipleship. Sure. So if you can't do that, maybe a better approach is to take a mutual fund approach. So in a mutual fund, I might not have, um, you know, nine figures that I can get into an investment platform with. Right. Um, but if you, if we collect, uh, you know, 10,000 investors into a mutual fund platform. There's a collective investment ability that gives, in essence, gives people access to a platform that individually they might not be able sure. to go totally. to. Now, that's a crude, crude analogy, and people who understand the financial world would, would like to take me to task on a mutual <laughs> fund, but I think that that's, I think that's the way that the nature of the church in Denver works. If there's a lot of smaller churches that care about this, how can we collect together ways that we can resource and uh, them towards their own mission and discipleship, how that they take seriously uh, work calling and cultural engagement. Yeah. So to be frank, the great thing about Park over the years is this is uh, your pastoral staff and your leadership. This is, this is in their bones. We love it. Yeah. This isn't, uh, this isn't an afterthought. Now it, it's not the entire thing. It doesn't faith and work. It doesn't equal discipleship, right? But it's the majority of how most of us are spending our time. Uh, so your staff takes us really seriously. Uh, you, I think you have a really thoughtful and integrated theology around calling. Uh, I don't sniff out this dualistic stuff mm-hmm. around here as much. I just think that that park is is really healthy. I've, I've oftentimes um, pointed to your church from the outside about the way that this um, integrates in, in really appropriate ways. Yeah. So so really thankful. This is the second year that Park has hosted a cohort for the fifty two eighty fellowship, and uh, it'll be led. Uh, by a member here at Park this year, and so it's a uh, it's been great. That's awesome. Yeah, cool. Yeah, we we love you guys and love the work that you're doing, and we're always looking to do more um, around vocation. We've we Neil and Joel and Gary and I just got out of a little learning community that this group called Made to Flourish put on, and so mm-hmm. we actually talked with Amy Sherman this morning, the author of Kingdom Calling. I Kingdom Calling. That is yeah. a fantastic it book. Is. That's a see little show notes. Yes. Yeah. We'll right put there. it in the show it's notes. It's a great read. We yes. actually, uh, all our 5280 fellows read a chapter of hers oh, cool. and do an exercise that comes out of that book. Nice. Yeah. yeah. She's, she's amazing. And she was, we, we had to put together this vocation integration plan to think about how do we, right. how do we talk more about the vocations that are represented here at Park Church? Um, and so you might be getting an email from me soon saying, Hey, if you're a lawyer, we want to talk to you. If you're a barista, we want to talk to you. If you, you know, take care of dogs. We wanted to talk to you um, because we, we really do want to highlight uh, your stories and your work and how that work points to um, God making all things new um, and renewing all things. And so uh, we all, the common grace of life is that we bring order to chaos in the work that we do, right? We care Absolutely. for things. And so um, it's I human purpose. It's human purpose. Absolutely. Yeah. I've got a buddy uh, who delivers packages for Amazon. Guess what would happen if he didn't deliver packages for Amazon? I wouldn't get my great book that I'm reading right now. <laughs> That's I'd be, right. I'd be really sick. That's right. And you wouldn't have great things to say on the show. Yeah. yeah. So no matter what you're doing, um, yeah, there, there's purpose in it. And, and we want you to know that. We want you to feel that. And we want to highlight that throughout our church. So, again, grateful for you guys and the work that you're doing to help, pe- to help change the way people look at this and think about this. And um, Let's have some fun. Let's have some fun. Sounds questions. good. All right. Tell me, speaking of books, what's the latest thing that you've read or watched recently that you've liked? Yeah, I just, uh, I am reading right now a book by Chuck DeGroat, who okay. is a former pastor and a counselor. It's called Wholeheartedness. Okay. Uh, he's, ten- the, he's the narcissism guy. He is about to be the narcissism oh, guy. Oh, yeah, okay. When, this when isn't he, the narcissism. It book. is. Okay. His book is forthcoming. Okay. Yeah, so Chuck has, uh, the book Wholeheartedness is uh, attending to issues of uh, busyness, the divided, fractured life, and the false self. Mm. 
it's a gem. If you mm. don't like having your mail read, this would not be a book for you. <laughs> but if there's some type of sense, one of the four pain points at Denver Institute we recognize is that people feel fractured. Mm. Because they, they come to us too busy. So this mm. is a book I'm reading and really enjoying it. It's reading me as I'm reading it. And he's yeah. going to be a speaker at our, our fourth quarter pastor's event. Cool. He's the keynote. Awesome. Yeah. That'll be great. Okay. Uh, something you've watched, TV show or movie? Uh, my, let's see. Uh, you've been to the movies my, this year? Yeah. I've taken my daughters to a few movies. My okay. daughter's a Star Trek or Star Wars fan. Okay. So she's now seen them all. But my wife and I got really into the, uh, the first season of Mind Hunter oh, yeah. on Netflix, yeah. which is in essence the story of how the original, she's a counselor. And so it's how, it's how people who are originally bent and oriented towards psychological investigation of serial killers mm. started to understand and profile and then start to predict maybe some of their patterns. So it's really a fantastic. There's a gruesome scene in the first 10 minutes. And if you get past that, it never happens again. And okay. it, it's a, we, we are just twiddling our thumbs waiting for the second season of Mindhunter. Nice. Right. So that was a favorite. Viewer discretion is advised. In episode one. In, sure. in episode one. Yeah, there you go. Um, okay, great. And then well, what's the best meal that you've had recently? What is the best meal? That's a great question. There's so uh, many good places to eat in this town. Yeah, I'm a foodie. Um, this afternoon, I'll say the most recent meal I had. Yeah. Um, uh, what is the name of the food court? Avano? Avano. Avanti. Avanti. Yeah. Um, yeah, I had this little Venezuelan pocket meal from Quiero. What are the... Um, yeah, great. We're staring at each other. This is really great. Kiro. I am. Comida. I have big time Venezuelan food knowledge. That's okay. what I'm demonstrating. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I had a, I had a, a great little sandwich with Neil as we talked this afternoon over nice. at Avanti. Nice. Yeah. I just went, I, I never answered this question, but I will today. I went to the, uh, the new Source Hotel. Yeah. And ate at Smoke. Okay. Which is the new barbecue place Look. in there. And it is the real deal. You could sew up my shoe and I would probably consider that as a meal. So that's worth checking out. We had the burnt end sandwich. Oh, look out. Yeah. They are so good. They're really good for you. Yeah. Yeah. They're really, really healthy. Very, very low fat. Great for the heart. The cardiovascular. Horrible. It just literally coated your aorta for three more weeks, but (laughs) it was worth it. That's I go ignorance is bliss on that stuff. That's why I never studied any of the stuff that I just don't want to know. Smart man. Um, what else do I ask? What's the nerdiest thing that you're into? Like the thing that you kind of are embarrassed to tell people. Uh, well, I'm not embarrassed to tell people. The nerdiest <laughs> thing I used to be into was brewing beer. Uh-huh. Uh, right. and I don't do that anymore. The nerdiest thing that I'm probably into now is I'm becoming uh, really fascinated with uh, public lands and the just from a conservation bent and mm. the history of it and how public policy works around public lands and why Utah wants to take them from us here in Colorado. So I've been, I'm starting to get a little nerdy. I keep listening to podcasts and Whoa. my previous book that I read was on just the history of wilderness in the United States. That's extremely nerdy. Yeah. It's just super, <laughs> it's, it's pretty nerdy, but that could be cool too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Great. It's fun. We just live in a state that's, uh, you know, 43% of Colorado's federal lands. Yeah, so it's just it's curious, how does that work? Yeah. You know, why here and why is Maryland, you know, 10% or huh. 5% or less? Yeah. So. There you go. What's it called? The book is called Wilderness. I don't remember the author. It's in its fifth edition, and okay. it is a classic. And I can find it for you for sure. Okay. With we'll put a few notes. strokes of Amazon. There you go. And then your friend can deliver it to someone else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then they'll know about it. Um, iPhone or something else? You say iPhone? Yeah. Oh, yeah, iPhone. iPhone. Good. Mm-hmm. I like to... Most of the people on this show have been iPhoners, so I'm just proud of that fact. Um, 
I broke my screen the other day. Ugh. The new phone comes, and with the I had to replace it with the iOS. You just put them next to each other, and it all updates automatically. Whoa! Yeah, don't bust a phone to try it, but it was slick. Whereas before, you know, it's such a hassle. Like I have to get a new phone. I'm going to put all my new apps on. Literally, you just turn them on and set them next to each other, and they speak. That's incredible. Translated all my bank accounts out into the universe for me. No, that's kind of terrifying. <laughs> yeah, it was. I like the iPhone. What, what were you doing? Drop your phone. Uh, Nobody has any idea what happened to my iPhone. I had it plugged in. There were children and cousins playing near it. And then the next morning, there was a screen break from the very top. I don't know. Yeah, I, what yeah, yeah. I have no idea whatsoever. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah of course. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. nobody did it. Okay. Yes, it was It was a ghost that broke my iPhone screen. <laughs> um, last one. Mm-hmm. I steal this one from Tim Ferriss. Mm-hmm. I, I like That's his show. source. That's what got me into podcasting was Tim Ferriss. That's not what got me. That's who got me into podcasting. Um, so he always the asks... The Jamie Foxx episode? Oh, so good. Gosh, the best <laughs> So ever. good. I've already listened to it three times. I go back to it. Anyway. Well, you know, he asked people if you could uh, put a billboard anywhere in the world, where would you put it and what would it say? I've used that question before and I have a horrible answer for it. And I have not thought about that in a long time. Well, based on my, uh, based on my current riff, mm-hmm. that billboard would be... Um, right in the middle of Colorado and it would say you are a public landowner. <laughs> Any taxpayer in this great United States is in fact a public landowner. How about that? I've never, I don't think anyone's ever tied the nerdy answer with the billboard answer. That's good. That's well good. done. Yeah, well at least I didn't tie it to my old nerdy beer habits. <laughs> okay, it's time to turn the AC unit back on. It would, that would be welcome. It's getting a little hot. Anything else you want to say before we go? No, this is great. It's a lot of fun. Cool. Thanks, James. Thanks, uh, thanks to Brian for coming on. Uh, like I mentioned at the beginning, uh, you can go to parkchurchdenver.org slash park-podcast. You'll see Brian's name and face there. Click on that to go into the uh, show notes for this episode and learn more about the Denver Institute for Faith and Work. Uh, and check out anything that we mentioned here on the show, anything that piqued your interest. Um, if you're here locally, be sure to check out their events. They're doing really good work in the city. So uh, we're grateful for it and uh, grateful for you listening to this show. We'll be back next week with, oh, I don't know, maybe, what else did we have? We've talked with alternatives. We've talked with Denver Institute. Maybe we'll talk with Hope in Our City next. Uh, They build relationships with refugees to foster a healthy community in Denver and make a generational impact. Ben is a a beer nerd also. Yeah. I'm just warning you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So maybe hope in our city uh, for the month of October. Uh, But thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you around. Take care.